Thank you. Take your Bible and turn to Psalm 84, if you would. Psalm 84. Don't stand yet. We're going to look at that, and I wanted to say a couple of things. You know, one of the lies of the devil is to get you to think that the Christian life is boring and that there's not much going on and that it's uh, rather humdrum and that it's just a bunch of fasting and praying and sighing and groaning. That's what the devil would have you to think about Christianity. You know, the Puritans several years ago, even right here in our country, had a saying that went something like this, that Puritanism is the idea that somebody somewhere might be happy. What a way to live your life as a Christian thinking that somewhere, somehow, somebody might be happy because it's not you, right? That's not how Christianity is. That's what the devil wants us to think. The devil's not going to have you say God is not real because he knows better. The devil believes in God and trembles at his presence. And so when you and I think about the Christian life and think about it being boring, that's the devil's behind you. That's the devil controlling your thoughts. That's the devil uh, keeping you from God's people, God's house, God's presence, even in your life. Some people think that the kingdom of God is just something that is done without any joy, peace, or happiness. That that's how we live and we just wait around in this world waiting to go to heaven. We don't need the Puritans, we don't need the devil to tell us about God and his joy. We don't need them to tell us about what God does for the Christian community. The Bible gives us plenty of information about God and his house and God and his kingdom. The world thinks that we groan and moan and fast and pray, but the Bible says that we feast and rejoice and we marry and give in marriage. That's what the Bible says about the Christian life. And so let's look a little closer at what the Bible might say. Even David, King David, had some thoughts about joy. In Psalm 16, he said, we're in 84, don't stand yet. I see you're ready. Psalm 16 says, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what King David said about the Lord. You know, the list could go on. I got a couple of more I do want to share with you. Psalm 34, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 36, how precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house. And you give them to drink of the river of your delights. One more I want to show you. Psalm 63. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. Do those verses sound like somebody who's bored? Do they sound like somebody who's deprived? of joy and happiness? Of course they don't. So the devil gets us to believe wrongly that the Christian life is a life of drudgery and Bible study and just waiting around 
for Jesus to come back. No joy, no happiness. Moaning, groaning, sighing, praying and fasting. That's all we do as Christian people. But those verses indicate something else, don't they? They indicate that in the presence of God there is joy forever. Amen. They indicate that in God's house there is rivers of life and rivers of goodness and rivers of delight. And so over and over the Psalms tell us of the one who is blessed, who actually is following the Lord, who's obedient to Him, who's walking with Him. That's the person who's happy. That's the person who's blessed. So when you preacher looks around the church and he sees a bunch of frowns, maybe he can pick out the ones that aren't really walking with the Lord at that moment. Maybe he can pick out the ones that aren't blessed, that aren't being obedient to God. Because obedience is life. Obedience is happiness. Obedience is joy. Don't paint a smile on your face when you come in. You ought to be carrying it anyway. Amen? Amen? Because we do have the God of gods, King of kings, and Lord of lords. He is our life and our joy. Psalms 84 is another psalm that indicates a similar tone as those others that we read. Now you can stand and we'll read Psalm 84. There's 12 verses. We'll read it all. All right. Let's begin in verse 1. How lovely are thy dwelling places, O Lord of hosts! My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How blessed are those who dwell in thy house. They are ever praising thee. How blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in You. Let's pray. Father, bless Your Word today. And Father, bring us out of the mess that we're in. Help us to sing praises to you in the new year because you are good to us. Because your presence is bringing joy to our life. Father, put that smile back on our face today. Even now in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse 4, 5, and 12 all say, How blessed is the man. How blessed is the man. That word blessed, you might be unfamiliar with it. It's not that you have received a token. It is that you are happy. That's what the word blessed there means. Happy is the man. Verse 4, 5, and 12 
tell us about this man. We're going to look at the first and the last today. Don't have time to really cover all of them. So let's start with the first blessing in verse 4. Look at that with me again. How blessed, how happy are those who dwell in thy house. They are ever praising God. They are ever praising thee. The temple gathering. That's what the writer of this psalm is referring to. All right, he's referring to when all the people come together for worship at the temple. Different times in the Old Testament that was set aside. For you and I, it's set aside every Sunday. Happy is the person that goes to church. Where's your smile? Happy is that person who goes to church because he's ever praising God in that place. He's ever lifting God up high and above. Now, I know that there are no sacred buildings today. This building is wood, brick, and mortar. The church is not this building. It is you. You are the temple of God, corporately and individually. But the point of this Psalm is not the building, it's the place, it's the person, it's the reason that I go. I'm going to praise God. Happy is that person. He's on a way, he's on, I believe he's on his way to the temple when he's writing this hymn. We don't really know who wrote it. We do know this, it was led by a guitar. The getith is a stringed instrument back in the Hebrew day which transformed for us to a guitar today. It is played on the guitar. It is a psalm of worship. I believe the psalmist is walking to the temple when he writes this, when the Holy Spirit inspires him to write these things. The reason I say that is the New American Standard uses the past tense there in verse 2. My soul longed. As I'm going, my soul longed to be there already. My soul desires to be at church already. I want my heart and my flesh to sing for joy to the living God. Our bodies are the temple, but it does not do away with the worship that you and I per, uh, perform and account for on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights. Every time the doors of this church are open, if it was my opinion, they would be open every night. We would have church every day. And some of you said, oh my gosh, what is wrong with that guy? Listen to me. When you get to heaven, you're going to give God an hour a week down here, but when you get to heaven, if you get there, you're going to give Him 24 hours a day. He's preparing you now for there. So if all you can do is give Him one hour a week, what makes you think you're going to be able to handle heaven when you praise Him and stand before Him singing praises and working in heaven and doing the things of heaven 24 hours a day? The point is not that this is a building or God's house that we find God in. The point is that we corporately gather together to worship the Lord. How blessed is the man who does this according to the Bible. Verse 4, how blessed is though are those who dwell in thy house. Do you have that longing? Do you have a desire to be at church? Do you have a desire? Does your soul yearn for the presence of God to be gathered with His people? 
It's possible that you have become a Christian. Amen? It's possible that you become a Christian. It is also possible that you have not become the Christian that you are. That's not a tongue twister. Let me say it again. It's possible that you've become a Christian. It is also possible that you have not become the Christian that you are. You see that? We gather with God. We come to Him because we love Him and worship Him and find contentment in His house. Look in verse 3. The bird also has found a house. And the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. The word bird there is our word sparrow. It's just a common, everyday bird. And as the rider walks into church, into the temple, the birds are flying around. Open courts, amen? Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. He walks into the temple, he sees these birds, these common little sparrows in the house of God. Now what would we do if we found a bird in here? We would all go crazy until we got it driven out the window and out the door. But what does the writer do? He praises God for it. He says, even the sparrow has found a house. What does that mean? Why would he put that in there even in the scripture? The sparrow, as you and I refer to sparrows, are things of insignificance. They're a pest, really, when you think about it. Building nests where we don't want them. I had one build a nest in the air intake in my old yellow truck out there. Thing wouldn't run right, I'd pop the hood up and there's a nest in the air breather. What in the world's going on here? They're a pest. They're insignificant. Jesus said in his uh, Gospels that the two sparrows are sold for a penny. But you are more valuable than they. Again, in Luke, he said that five sparrows are sold for two pennies. But you are more valuable than they. So even something that's insignificant, according to the psalm, can find a place in the house of God. You might feel useless today. There's nothing you feel like you can do that God would want. Nothing that you could do that God would love or desire or want you to do for Him. You are insignificant in your estimation in the eyes of God. You don't amount even to two sparrows. But the Bible says you can find a place here in God's house. You can find a place to serve. You can find a place to dwell. You can find a place to be. You are of worth to God. You are valuable to Him. You can have a home, a place to belong right here in this church. Isn't it funny how the Scripture brings out the beauty of God overlooking the proud people? Overlooking the haughty people, the show-off people, the powerful people, God moves over them. Can't use them. Doesn't want to use them. They're too hung up on what they're doing, what they think, what they see. They don't even hear what God sees or wants in their life. 
So God passes over them. And who does he come to? He comes to the insignificant. Do you remember the story of Gideon? Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press so that he can hide from the enemy. And God, in the form of angel, comes and says, Gideon, God's calling you. And he says, oh, not me. I'm the least. I'm the least in my family. I'm the poorest and the least and the worthless. And the angel says, it doesn't matter. God's calling you to serve him. Gideon again says, but my tribe, my people are the least of all the people of Israel. Why would God be calling me? Because that's who God calls the insignificant. Those who think they're useless. Those who feel worthless. God called Gideon. God called Moses. Hey, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house. Amen. He was a powerful person. But when he killed that Egyptian, he ran for his life across to the backside of the desert and lived there for 40 years and became a sheep farmer. And he went out and steered sheep around from patch of grass to patch of grass to a stream of water. And God called Moses. Insignificant little Moses doesn't mean anything, doesn't amount to anybody anymore. God called Moses. Let me ask you something. You remember Peter in the Bible, right? Remember the, right before the crucifixion, uh, the Lord said that uh, the disciples would react in a certain way. And Peter stands up in the middle of the group and he says, Lord, these men might desert you, but I'll never desert you. I'll be with you. I'll go to the death with you, Lord. I will be with you all of the way. And Jesus said, great, Peter, go feed my sheep. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, and Jesus said, will you really, Peter? I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. So here it comes. This proud man, this this strong man, this man who will stick with Jesus and do everything for him and go to the death with Jesus, denies him three times. He hears the rooster crow and he looks at Jesus and their eyes meet. What does Peter do? He runs out into the streets of Jerusalem and he sobs and he weeps and he's a broken man. He has now become from the proudful to the insignificant. He's worthless in his eyes in the presence of God. And Jesus goes to the cross. He is raised from the dead and he meets Peter on the beach. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And this broken man says, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, now feed my sheep. God doesn't call the proud or the haughty or the powerful among men to serve him. He calls the insignificant soul. Even the sparrow has found A house for a home. Let's go on to the next bird, the swallow. Man, we got those here too, don't we? They'll build a nest on anything they can get that mud to stick to. Right? 
We had one on top of our uh, lamp at the front door, a little glass bulb, and he built a nest, and I'd knock it down, and they'd build another one, I'd knock it down. Finally, I gave up, because they weren't going to give up. They can build nests, and you know what they are? They're like a bat on steroids. They just pew, 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 fly around, and they're just serious little birds, aren't they? All over the place, building nests and flying around, catching bugs, and they are restless. They're looking for something new all of the time and and looking for something different all of the time. Maybe that describes you. You're in the church and you're a busybody and you're restless and you're always wanting to work and serve and go and do and be. And the Bible says that you can find a place right here in God's house to rest and build a nest and raise your kids. You see that? Look at verse 3. The bird has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. You might be restless soul. You might be a rolling stone this morning. You might be a church hopping person. But God wants you to know that you can find a place to build your nest in His house and raise your family in it. That's what the point of that text is. That's what God is trying to teach us this morning. Don't be rolling around ever busy, ever moving, ever doing. You can stop. You can build a nest and you can find rest. You won't find rest in circumstances. You won't find rest in your adventures being satisfied and completed. Where will you find rest? Look at the end of verse 3. The bird also has found a house and a swallow, a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even God's altars, O Lord of hosts. Where are you going to find rest? You're going to find it right up here. This is the altar. This side and that, that's the altar. That's where God says you'll find rest. Jesus said it like this, Come to me, all of you who are exhausted. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in spirit. And my burden is easy and my load is light. You want rest? Are you a busybody that can't settle down and and find a place to build a nest and raise your family? Right here it could be at this church. Right here in this place, in God's house, we see those who are insignificant. We see those who are restless, all taken care of right here in the Scripture. What a beautiful passage God gives to us today. These words that Jesus spoke to us about finding rest in Him are not sweet-sounding words for a Sunday morning sermon. They are words of life. If you are restless and you are not in church then you need to find a church that you can go to when the doors are open. Every service, every time. Be in that church. Be in God's house. That's what he's saying. Blessed is the man who does this. Amen? Now, let's go on to the next blessing that we find there in verse 10. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Better is one day to stand outside on that porch than it is to be three years away from the church. 
It's better to put my ear to the door and hear what's going on inside than it is to be away from the church for three years. That's what the psalmist is telling us. I would rather stand at the doorway and look in than I would to be away from God for three years. Better is one day in your court. The court is not the Holy of Holies. It's not even where the presence of God is. It's just close. Amen. It's a place that's close to where God is. Being in the presence of God, that's what brings the blessing to us. A life without God is useless. A life without God is meaningless. It's better to be close to Him for one day than it is to be without Him for even three years in the world fulfilling my fleshly desires. You were like that. I was like that. Hey, we tried the world. We went out into the world. We lived in the world. And then one day we came to our senses like the prodigal son and we said to ourselves, man, the people at God's house have everything they need. They got a smile on their face. They got food on their table. They got a roof over their head. They got clothes on their back. I'm going to go. And we heard God calling us and we reached up and God picked us up out of that pit, did he not? Didn't he pick you up out of the pit of death and destruction? Didn't he pick you up? Come on. Yes, sir, he did. Yes, Father, you did. You picked us up and you set us in your house. Amen. Because your presence is there. Now I am blessed. I go to church with you and corporately worship God. And the Bible says that God inhabits the praise of His people. When you lift up your voice, and shame on you if you don't, when you lift up your voice in praise to God, He comes. The Bible says in Psalm 22, God inhabits the praise of His people. Amen? So think about it. God's presence is here. That's why we come. The Bible goes on to say, That He is a sun and a shield in verse 11. What does He mean by that? What does the sun do? It gives us light. It shows us the way. That's what God does. The Bible says you and I were in darkness, living in darkness. But God delivered us into the kingdom of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. From darkness to light, God is a sun to those looking for the way. We were lost, but God brings us security. He says we are, He is a shield for us. What does a shield do? It protects us. It defends us. It sustains us. It guards us. It guides us. The good news is this. That God is everything we need. Amen? He's everything you need. He's anything you need and everything you need. How blessed is the man who realizes that. How blessed is the man who comes to church. How blessed is the man who finds the presence of God in God's house. It goes on to say in verse 11 that the Lord gives grace and glory. What does he mean by that, grace and glory? 
On the back of your bulletin today, I wrote about that grace. From the time you were born until the time you die, that's God's grace to you. He gave you life, and now He wants you to be born again so that you can have eternal life. Right? Your sin, not Adam's sin, not Eve's sin, your sin has kept you out away from the presence of God. Oh yeah, we got that nature from Adam and Eve, but we can't blame them. We sin too. And so we disconnected from God. God's grace from your birth to your death, that period that you have of years is called God's grace to you. He's calling you. He's wanting to receive you. He's, he's bringing you close to Him. He's, he's uh, rising up in your heart. He's pulling at your heartstrings. But man, some of you keep a hold of that pew like it's a death grip and you won't let go. And you won't surrender to the Lord God and you won't allow Him to save you. That's what He wants to do. He gives you grace. And then it says in verse 11 that He gives you glory. What is that? Glory is a word that we attribute to God. God in His glory. What does that mean? It's the same word whether we give it to God or He gives it to us. It's the same word. What does it mean? It means worth. It means worth. God is worthy. He is glorious. God in turn gives you grace And now He gives you glory. He gives you worth. You think, well, I'm not worth much, Brother Clay. You are to Him. Because He gives grace and He gives glory. He gives weight to you. He gives honor to you. He gives worth to you. You say, well, I'm not worth much. Let me tell you how much you're worth. You're worth Him going to the cross and dying on it for you. That's what you're worth. Amen? Not many men would die for you, I believe. Maybe your dad, maybe even your grandpa, maybe an uncle, but not many. But Jesus went to the cross for the sin of the whole world. And when you receive that gift, you have received His grace, and He gives you glory. You are now worth Jesus. You are worth Him. And that's what He wants you to see there in verse 11. Let's go on. All these things, all this asking, all this gathering, all these things can be summed up in the last two verses. Verse 11b. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how happy is the man who trusts in You. Amen. No good thing will God withhold from you if you will walk in integrity. If you will walk not in perfection, remember, but openly before Him, confessing your sin, receiving His forgiveness, allowing Him to work in your life and to cleanse you and clean and sanctify your life. That's God's purpose for you. To become conformed to the image of His Son. Our trust of God is then proven through our obedience to Him. How blessed is the man who trusts in God. Don't believe the devil's lie 
about who you are or about what Christianity is. He doesn't care about you. In fact, He's against you. And He'll lie to you and He'll swindle you and He'll cheat you because He is that kind of a being, crafty and deceptive. He wants you destroyed. Jesus told us that. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come, He says, that they may have life. So, what do you do this morning? Do you trust God and not believe Satan's lie? Do you believe Christianity is boring? Of course it's not. The pleasures, the pleasures of life are found in the presence of God and in His house. Not for Sunday, but for every day at school, every day at work, every day in your business, every day in your marriage, Every day that you're young and every day that you're old and every day that you're retired in His house, you will find His presence. And in His presence is joy forever. You know, Gil and I uh, go to you follow once in a while and we see uh, our neighbor out there. His name is Maverick. And... He feeds the deer in our neighborhood corn every day. And it got to be where he would take a five-gallon bucket of corn and he had a particular place in his backyard. Between our porch and his back porch is where he would feed these deer. And I'm telling you, there would be 30 deer at a time. He would take a full bucket and just pour it in a circle on this one particular place, and then he'd walk away, and them deer would come and flog that place, and they would eat all that corn. And, you know, eventually, after a couple of years, Maverick could go out there in the middle of them and just move real slow, and he had a couple of them eating out of his hand. Now he has one sleeping on his back porch waiting for Daddy to bring breakfast. Okay? And if Mary and Maverick are watching this, I hope they are. Now, Mary made him move his feeder out into the back, away from the houses. But even now, those deer will come up. And when they see Maverick open the door, they'll get even closer. You know what they're doing? They're trusting him. They're trusting Maverick. It didn't start out like that. You know, I, I remember when I was not a Christian and, and I would go to church and it was like going to a foreign country. All these happy people in there. And here I am, I was a wasteoid of life. But I was looking for hope. I was looking for answers and so I'd sneak into a church. I would not sneak in, but I would go in and, and I typically would sit in the back. Okay, and, and I would watch those people more than I would listen to the sermon and more than I would understand the, the songs they were singing. I was watching the people because I wanted to know what they had that I didn't have. And I finally realized it one day. They trusted God where I didn't. I didn't trust in His salvation. I didn't think that He could cleanse my life and make me new. I never knew that, but sometimes those doors would open and I would go into a church looking 
searching. Eventually, I began to trust God, and God reached out and saved my soul. And now I can't wait to come to church because I get to gather with you and worship Him. Just like those deer in Maverick's yard, when he opens that door, here they come. They trust him. Some of them will eat out of his hand. You know the ones that are the most leery? It's the male. Just like our species. Amen? It's the male. It's the male that doesn't trust. It's the male that stays back. It's the male that won't get close until finally he gets hungry enough and he'll come and eat. Now I know what the psalmist meant when they said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Some of you need to do that this morning. You need to come to this altar just like the swallow, just like the sparrow. Even on your altars, O oh God, they found a place to make a home. You come today. Trust God. Trust Him. I promise you, He'll have you eaten out of His hand in no time at all because He loves you. And He's shown that because He got on that cross. He gave His life so you could live. Trust that. Believe it. It's true. It's real. Don't listen to Satan. You trust God. David, come and lead us in a song. Let's stand together. Let me pray. Lord, we know that you love us. We know that we can trust you. There's no one else that we can trust. There's nothing else in this world that will give us what we're looking for. There's no allurement. There's no recreation. There's no drug. There's no drink. There's no relationship. There's nothing that we can get from You. Father, You are the King. Help us to see that. Help us to know You provide all that we need and we find it right here in Your presence, right here in Your house. And we pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. You come.